0: Joseph C. Sack and welcome to the Factor Points podcast. Yeah, I know it's 2020 and this is the first episode I've done this year. So I apologize. It's been a crazy year for me writing another book, which has just been released. What did the angels see at Easter? It's out and available now on uh, Amazon, both paperback and ebook. And hey, we are living in a global pandemic. Nobody really saw this coming at this extent, but here we are sheltering in place, learning words like social distancing, and man, our whole world has changed, and it will continue to be different on the other side of this global pandemic. But Factor Points is back here to help you stay on point with your discipleship in Christ in the midst of this. Jesus is the calm in the storm. And we're made for this. We're prepared for this when we walk with Christ Jesus. Years ago, I did a teaching in which I related walking with Jesus like driving in a Jeep Wrangler that's fully outfitted with the huge tires on it and the the winch in the front, that cable that you can tie to a tree and pull yourself out of a, uh, a trench. And it's even got the snorkel thing where if you're going through deep water, you know, that's there to help your engine not not flood. That's what it's like to go through life with Jesus. He outfits you with everything you need to face various types of terrain. So this is a new terrain that for many of us, we've never faced this. Our parents never faced this. Our grandparents never faced this before. It's a new day, a new challenge, but we have an eternal truth, promise, and principles in the Word of God and then the very person of the holy spirit that will get us through this so be encouraged with that and i've got something i want to share with you specifically about today today is actually friday april 10th and it's good friday and i got a question for you why is good friday the friday before easter called good friday um and I want to share just a short message with you about that so that we have a better understanding of what this day really represents. You see, on the surface, when we consider the events that took place on what's historically known as Good Friday, there's little that we would view as good when, you, when you're looking at it in natural and normal standards. To be clear, Jesus was scourged. He was beaten with a whip with multiple strands on it. With pieces of bone and metal embedded in it, designed to do uh, severe damage to actually rip away the flesh. This is what happened on Good Friday. Um, he was put, a crown of thorns was placed on his head and he was mocked on Good Friday. Nails were driven into his hands and feet and then he was crucified all on the Friday before the resurrection. Now, if you were there, I want you to use your imagination with me for a moment and think back and and, and imagine that you're there over 2000 years ago and you're witnessing this firsthand. And and so if you're witnessing this and if you think that everything you're seeing is good, then you're probably one of the priests or you're in the angry crowd, the mob that's yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Or maybe you're one of the Roman soldiers. See, these are all of the people that think everything that's happening to Jesus is good because they're blind. They have hard, cold hearts and their hearts are full of hatred. And so they don't know who Jesus really is. They don't believe in, in who Jesus says he is, even though they've seen the miracles and the works and all of that, they're believing a lie and therefore they want Jesus to die. And so when they see the suffering and the pain that he's enduring, Those are the people that think it's good. But imagine also if you're one of the disciples. And let's start there not on Friday, but let's start on Thursday. On Thursday, you have this dinner with Jesus. And Jesus says some things about His life and what's to come and he and he says that he's going to be leaving you soon So you're kind of like what somebody's going to betray you and then you know that night He he prays and he says his soul is grieved unto death These are all very unusual things for jesus To suffer and endure and then Jesus is arrested on thursday night Jesus is arrested now let's bring some context to that because if you're one of the disciples You've walked with Jesus for three years. You've seen him heal the sick, uh, open blind eyes. You've seen him multiply food for thousands of people two times. And you've seen him raise the dead multiple times. Basically, every single obstacle that Jesus has faced as you have been with him, if you're one of the 12 disciples, you've seen him miraculously overcome it with incredible power. And yet on this night, the same Jesus who you witnessed walk on water, has just been handcuffed, chains put on him. He's being hit in the face and spat on by these these soldiers. You're you're this is he's allowing this to happen to him. How can this be? So the the bad that's going on for you doesn't start on Friday. It starts on Thursday night, and on Friday you witness the scourging and the crucifixion and all of these things take place to a Jesus whom you've seen walk with tremendous power. I'd argue that if you're Mary, the mother of Jesus, Friday when all these things happen to Jesus is not a good day. It's in fact, let's just let's just call it what it is. If you're one of the disciples, let let's say even if you're Judas, okay? If you're Judas, I don't believe Judas expected all of this to happen. You see, I think Judas was just trying to get paid. And I think Judas even thought that, hey, it's Jesus. Every time he's threatened, they picked up stones to stone him. And somehow he miraculously walks through a crowd of hundreds of people who have stones in their hands trying to kill him. I believe Judas thought Jesus was just going to do another miracle and get out of that situation. And then Judas would have just said, hey, Jesus, you know, I was just trying to get paid. and, And, you know, the offering was short. And since I'm the treasurer, Judas had a scheme and a plan I don't believe he had any idea that Jesus was actually going to be arrested, beaten, and crucified. How do I know that? Because Judas committed suicide shortly after all of these events take place with Jesus. He felt so much guilt and shame for the part that he played that he took his own life. Again, if you're Mary, this is a terrible day. This is, I would say this might be the worst day of your life if you're one of the disciples or if you're Mary, the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene, who we could also say was a disciple. She's Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's witnessing her son go through all of this incredible pain and trauma and torture and ultimately death. And then here we are 2000 years later, Christians, we call this a good Friday. My question to you is why? And the answer I pose to you comes in a couple of forms. One, we've got to take a different perspective of someone who's there, but at a higher level, and that's God the Father. The perspective that God the Father has on the events that took place on Good Friday is different from the priests, different from Pilate, different from the Roman soldiers, different even from the disciples, and from even Jesus' mother, Mary. I'd argue the only other person in the whole scene that gets it is Jesus himself. So let's look at this perspective between God the Father and Jesus about the events that take place on Good Friday and why it's called good. In fact, I would argue that Good Friday is a great day. In order to understand, we've got to look back at the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Verse one says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are all healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with the rich men in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth." But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressors. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. That's the whole chapter. And what you hear in those verses is a prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah inspired by God speaking directly what God wants to say to the people and to the church this is part of scripture and all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and so what we see taking place here and being spoken here are the events that literally take place on Good Friday think of it this way when God speaks something prophetically it's scheduled okay And we might not know exactly when it's going to take place, but sometime in the future, if God has a planner, then when a prophet speaks, God has already scheduled whatever that prophet is speaking in his planner. And so if you look at specifically what Isaiah says about the servant, about uh, Jesus, the the Messiah who was to come, and all of these terms that are used to describe what Jesus is going to go through. I want to go back and read some of these things. Despised, forsaken, sorrows, grief, stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, pierced through, crushed, chastened, oppressed, judged. See, if you look at the first three years of Jesus's ministry, you don't see a whole lot of that, right? There's a little bit, but And there's some very direct way that this is presented in Isaiah that's going to happen to the Messiah. And so the way it's prophesied, it's scheduled. And guess what? The scheduled day on God the Father's calendar is the Friday before the resurrection. And so why do we see Jesus have such grief in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane? In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says, They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went uh, a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And if you keep reading, you know Jesus did that two more times. He came and prayed the same thing to God the Father, only to get basically the same answer. And that answer would be, son, yes, I can do anything, but this is what I've chosen for this moment, for this hour. Or we could put it this way, this is what's been scheduled And so on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is anticipating the scheduled anguish, pain, suffering, oppression, piercing through that's going to happen the next day on Friday. And what is Jesus saying in his humanity? He's saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want my flesh to go through this. And he's he's carrying it with such emotional Weight—it's weighing on him so much that he verbalized to his disciples, "My soul is grieved unto death." He literally says that. What that means is, I feel so bad about what I'm anticipating that's going to happen to me tomorrow. I feel like I could die even right now. We know that Jesus was under so much stress on Thursday night that his sweat turned into droplets of blood. On that Thursday night, it says in the book of John. Chapter 18 gives us the scene where Jesus is being betrayed by Judas and Jesus asks the soldiers, who is it that you're looking for? Whom do you seek? It says in verse four, verse five, it says, they answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he just those three words, Jesus said, and Judas also, who was betraying him was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. And so what do we see happen here? You don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but think about it. These are soldiers with Judas and Jesus is so bold. He asked them, what's up? Who are you guys looking for? And they say specifically Jesus from Nazarene as so not to confuse him with any other Jesus from any other uh, city. And Jesus says boldly, I am he. Jesus's words came forth with so much power that it knocked all of the soldiers back on their butts. And they literally had to get back up off the ground. And then to say again, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Why do I bring that up to you? Because Jesus says, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. He demonstrated on the night of his arrest that he had the power to free himself, but he chose not to use that power. He had the power with a word to knock everyone down on their backs while they were knocked down. He could have slipped and been gone and and, and escaped the garden, but he didn't. He knew the hour had come for what was scheduled on Friday to take place. So he gave himself up on Thursday. You see, you don't get a good Friday unless you have a humble Thursday where he submitted himself to the plan and purpose of God. And so the goodness, if you will, starts on Thursday night in terms of Jesus dealing with the emotional struggle, the pain, the anticipation of everything that was coming and willingly saying, not my will, but yours be done. What makes Good Friday good is that Jesus willingly submitted himself to everything that he knew was coming. And the question is why? Well, first we got to understand all of these things had to happen because it was prophesied by the father. And so the son has to agree with it in order to execute it. But then we also know that Jesus lived a perfect life. He did no wrong, We're the ones who did everything wrong. We're the ones who sinned, but he's the one who steps in and takes the payment. And I would argue that's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. You see, the disciples didn't get it in the moment. They scattered, they fled, they questioned whether or not he was really the Messiah, but they missed it. They wouldn't get it until later, after his resurrection, that he did all these things for them. There's a verse in Isaiah 53, verse 10, that is been a question in my mind for a long time until I really dug in and studied it out and got some revelation from the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Now, I don't know about you, but as a father, I think, man, how could the father take pleasure in crushing his son? Then the Holy Spirit prompted me to just keep reading. You see, there's actually no period there. It's a semicolon. It goes on to say, If he would render himself as a guilt offering. So what the father takes pleasure in is not just the punishment that comes on Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus willingly offers himself as a guilt offering. He lived a perfect life, yet he shows up on Friday and says, I'm guilty and I surrender myself to be punished. And that is something the father says, I take pleasure in my son, Willingly giving himself, living a perfect life, giving himself for the sins of the world as the suffering servant, as the lamb who would be slain on their behalf. That's what the father is taking pleasure in. And I would argue also this is the wrath of God coming on Jesus and the father's taking pleasure in the wrath coming on his son because that means the wrath will not have to come on us. Jesus said something on the cross that's astonishing. His last words were, it is finished. And I believe that means that I've drunk the last drop of this punishment of this cup. I haven't left any of, of it left over for anyone that believes in me to drink for themselves. I have taken the full measure of the wrath of the father for their sin on me. Therefore, they don't receive judgment and condemnation and punishment. They receive mercy, forgiveness and reconciliation and grace because I'm purchasing all of that for them. Continuing in Isaiah 53 verse 10, it says, after he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. So listen, offspring come after Jesus gives himself as a guilt offering. What are the offspring or who are the offspring? Guess what? It's you and I. We come after Jesus gives himself to this scheduled pain and suffering on Good Friday. Now, what does that mean? Well, There's some insight later in the Gospels in John chapter 12, where Jesus said this, he says, if a seed, uh, except a seed dies, it remains alone. So if a seed doesn't go into the ground, it just remains alone. But if the seed dies, then it bears much fruit. And so he's he's speaking of himself. He's relating himself to a seed and a seed can never reach its potential if it stays in a little envelope and never gets sown into the ground. So. The scourging, the crucifixion or the punishment that Jesus endured, it was as though the shell around that seed was broken so that when it went into the ground, the the nutrients and everything in it could be released into the soil and it could start to grow roots and to sprout. Because guess what? You don't get a harvest unless the seed is sown. And so Jesus allowed himself to be sown into the ground so that you and I could be sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus is called the firstborn among the brethren. See, some people misinterpret that to think it means that Jesus was created by God and that he's not God and he was the first one that God made. That's not what that verse means. The firstborn is referring to Jesus's resurrection. He's the first one to come from the dead and in regards to new life, new living. And see, we got to understand Jesus became sin on the cross, which means this. And this might shake you up a little bit, but you got to get this. Which means if he became sin on the cross, then Jesus needed to be born again. And that second birth for Jesus came on the day he resurrected on Sunday morning. I'm gonna let you think about that for a minute. But the only way you get that is if you understand that he became sin. And anyone that's walking in sin needs to be born again, okay? And so Jesus, his second birth came about when he broke forth from that tomb. That's where he was the firstborn among all of us. We are the ones who sinned. He took on that sin. He took the punishment for all that sin. He died in all that sin. And then he rose that we who believe in him identify with him and raise again with him. And so again, I present to you. That Good Friday is not just a good Friday. It's a great Friday. Why? Because it's the day that the Father scheduled for the pain and suffering and penalty for the sin of the entire world to come on one man who had the power to resist it, who had the power to escape it, who had the power to overcome all of the attack. And he did not use that power to escape it, but instead he used his power, he used his anointing to endure it. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See, the cross itself was not the joy. The joy was set before him. And what was that joy? Or better said, who was that joy? Answer is simple. It was you. Jesus endured Friday to get to you on Sunday. So be encouraged today, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay on point this good Friday. Stay on point in the quarantine. Stay in point on point as you shelter in place. Because here's the reality the day you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you sheltered in place under the blood. You sheltered in place under his righteousness. He is our refuge and our fortress. So we've been sheltering in place ever since we came to Jesus. This Friday on April the 10th is a good Friday, 2020. It's a great Friday because it's the day our Lord, our Savior, willingly chose to submit himself to endure all the pain and suffering that we all deserve. That's a good thing. I'll close with this. Jesus said no man has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life on Friday. That's why it's a great day. He demonstrated the greatest love that could ever be seen on Friday before he resurrected on Sunday. Good Friday is a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Factor Points podcast. I'm coming back with more Factor Points is back and we're going to stay on point as disciples of Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.